Do you know you have amazing pastors? Man, it has been an incredible blessing to get to know Pastor Craig and Pastor Shanda. And I know the, the real blessing and the real reason that I'm here is because uh, you've chosen to bless us with Shanda at City Collective this morning. So I know that she's bringing it over there. And I'm just really grateful to be able to spend the morning here with you. But Pastor Craig, Pastor Shanda, the whole team here at Horizon has been so generous with us, with their time, with their energy, with their prayers. I know in our launch process, we launched last September on the 23rd. And uh, I know that in the process leading up to it, there was incredible prayer going in behind it. And how many of you know that prayer is vital whenever you're trying to give life to something, when you're trying to breathe life into a situation? So I am feeling very, very privileged to be here this morning. And so my f name is Jason Charles. I feel like I always need to introduce myself in like the full name. It is Jason Spencer Charles. So it is the whitest brown name that you will probably hear. Um, but I'm really excited to bring greetings. You know, I just got to lighten it up a little bit. It's, it's, it's Sunday morning. We're here to have a little fun. We're here to get to know a little bit about each other and more, most importantly, get to know a little bit about this person named Jesus. And so I'm excited to get into uh, the scripture. But I know the series that we're walking through as a community right now is around the idea of story and the power of story through everything that we do. That your story is important, that my story is important, and it's important because of the moments that we share within it and the transformation that can take place through it. I, I came across this great quote from an individual named Lisa Cron, and, and what she says is, story as it turns out was crucial to our evolution, more so than opposable thumbs. Opposable thumbs let us hang on, story told us what to hang on to. So I'm excited to, to see what your story can look like in this next season. What can happen when Jesus comes into your story like he came into mine. So we're going to jump right into a little bit of scripture and then we're going to keep on going. Uh, Luke 22 verses 24 to 26, you can follow along, big screen in the sky. And it says this. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like the servant. I love this passage because right now they are in the middle of a climactic moment in the life of Jesus. They're, they're at the Last Supper. There's a lot of great conversations and great truths being shared. And then... The response of the disciples in that moment, the response of the individuals around that table with Jesus is to say, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the most important one around this table? And who does that sound like? That sounds like you and me. That we're always asking that question of who's going to be the greatest? Why do I matter? Do I even matter? I'd like, to, I'd like to ask the question to get us going this morning is, is when do you feel the most important? And this isn't meant to be like this deep introspective question for you to consider the, the deep hidden thoughts of your heart in this moment. But when do you feel the most important? When, when someone asks you to do something. When you get to teach something new to another person. When perhaps you achieve something that was a little bit unexpected or you get noticed by others, different moments in our life where we suddenly feel important. 
I've had moments in my life where I feel important. I feel like the most important one, maybe one of the most, at least top five. Uh, grade three, little brown kid, glasses, braces, the full spectrum of like the cool kid kit, right? Uh, and I was uh, a part of a school that was about to put on a play, Jonah and the Whale. Unfortunately, my mother heard about it. And so she was very adamant that I needed to try out in grade three for the role of Jonah. So, me being because my mother said so, and I love my mother, and I know that she would really love me if I did so, I tried out for the role, and lo and behold, I got the role. Man, I felt pretty important. In a school where the grade sixes didn't get it, little brown kid, glasses, braces, haha, I get to be Jonah. And so, <laughs> Jonah I ended up turning out to be a musical as well. So that added to the whole situation. So my mom was even more excited about that, to see her little brown boy singing on stage in front of all these people. So Jonah and the whale, we had a, like a series of nights. It was magical. It was amazing. Uh, there was an, another kid that, was, that had to like be the whale. He's still going through therapy right now, but he had to be the whale in that moment. And one of the things that we got to do together is we got to sing a song together called Lean On Me. I think we all kind of know that song, like, lean on me when you're not... Yeah, like that, like that's what it is, right? Thank you. I'm trying to relive the moment. It made me feel, made me feel really important, obviously. But it, it, it's silly, but to be honest, you feel really important in that moment. You did something that someone that you love wanted you to do, that you didn't expect of yourself, that you can reflect upon and be like, that was really great. But then we have moments that we had high expectations going into, and we don't have the same importance that comes out of it. A few years later, I had a chance to play basketball my first year, and I was like nine years old, and we had a great team, and we won the city championships, and it was a big deal. And then the next year, they wanted to split us up and spread the wealth a little bit. And so we had to do some tryouts and incorporate new kids into the program, and we were a little bit disappointed, but we figured we'd end up in the same team together anyways. The first night of the tryouts, I got really sick and I wasn't able to make that first night and I showed up on the second night and I was like, oh no, they've already made all their decisions. They, they've already decided upon who was going to be on what team and lo and behold, they called out the names at the end and I ended up on a different team with then my buddies and the team that I wanted to be on. Being the strong, tough nine-year-old kid, ten-year-old kid that I was, I, I held it together, got to the car, mom's like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. I get into the car. I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not good. Open the door, and I'm like vomiting out the side of the door in frustration. <laughs> it's <was> traumatic. <laughs> but it, it, it's silly, and and these dramatic moments of, of feeling important because of a play or feeling hurt because of a basketball team, we respond in a very physical way to how we feel important in situations. And I think that's really indicative of our society in general. It's why uh, ideas and concepts like depression are so rampant in our society. Where they say that hundreds of thousands of individuals a year in BC alone are diagnosed with clinical depression. And that's just individuals who've actually come forward or has gotten to the point where they're like, I have to actually deal with this. They say that one in two individuals on a yearly basis are dealing with the 
depression within their household. This is a real thing that we're facing where we're asking the question, do I really matter? Am I actually important in this world? Do I have any sort of significance? So why does the thing that we all crave often lead us to feeling so empty and asking that question, do I really matter? And, and this is a question that matters, therefore it matters to God. And I think often our perception of God is limited to moments where there's like a physical need or a financial breakthrough or something tangibly to happen. But the thoughts in our mind that weigh us down and hold us back, God cares so deeply about those and he doesn't want us to gloss them over. He wants us to provide them honestly and authentically in every single moment, and he allows Scripture to even speak to that. In Jeremiah 20:18, it says, Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, with sorrow, and with shame. And we've all been there before, crying out to God saying, Why me? Do I even matter? And I feel like every story seemed to have this moment. Heck, I feel like I had a moment like this this week where, where you ask yourself again, why am I even doing this? Do I even matter? And then ultimately we get to this story with the disciples. And they're with Jesus and they're asking who's going to be the greatest. But often uh, a question that comes out of Place and it's not coming in the right moment, it's coming from a place of insecurity. So the disciples are truly asking, do I even matter to you? Will I, will I matter more than my fellow disciples? The disciples who are arguing who is the greatest are more concerned about where they're sitting versus who they're sitting with. And then they do what we all do, and they find try to find value through their station rather than value through their salvation. And you would think that the journey that the disciples had been on would have captured their heart. But this is what I love about the story of Jesus, that it's not fixated on the final point of the journey, but the story told in between. That the story he's writing is less about the destination and more about the journey. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says that God is going to take our stony, stubborn hearts and give us a tender, responsive heart. A tender, responsive heart is one that speaks of a God that wants to transform our lives to not simply be about ourselves, but have a story that reflects into the world. I don't want to have a story that just changes my life. I want to have a story that starts to change the lives of my family, of my friends, of my workplace, of, my, of every single space that I enter. My story, if it ends with me, does not have enough Jesus in it. But let's just be honest here. Um, the first part of stony, stubborn, I get that. I get what it means to be a little stubborn sometimes. Because being stubborn is this interesting emotional status we can end up. It's, a, it's like a response that we have. And it's often a little unreasonable. Uh, it lacks a little emotional intelligence. It can be a little short-sighted. It's like a child who refuses to stop playing at home even though their parents are trying to take them to Disneyland. 
When we are stubborn, our focus, our affection of our heart is fixated on something else. Stubbornness demands a belief that something is worth holding on to. So stubbornness can be good. But when the stubbornness of our life is leading us in a direction that is away from the purposes of God, it means we're holding on to something else or we're believing that something else is worth holding on to. It speaks of focus. So to go from a place of a stony, stubborn heart to a tender and responsive one, we need to ask the question, what does your fo- where does your focus lie? Or better yet, what is your heart fixated upon? In the, in the Bible, it uses the verbiage to explain it, uh, uh, about the idea of focus and where we have our focus fixed, uh, of the idea of an idol. Now, that isn't language we're all that familiar with, maybe, but, and maybe some of you who are holier than me uh, use that word a lot. But, but when, I wear, when I hear that word, I don't immediately think to myself that I have, like, a closet at home with a Jerome Ginla jersey that's, like, sitting. I'm, I'm from Calgary. It's beautiful, sitting there, sacrificing winged rescue jerseys, burning them underneath. Like, that, like it's, that's, that's, that's kind of what comes to my mind when I think of an idol, but, but an idol is simply this. It is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life, or your identity. An idol is anything in your life that is more fundamental to your happiness, your meaning in life, or your identity. I, and idolatry isn't so much wanting bad things as it is turning good things into ultimate things. And that means that almost anything can become an idol in our life, including good things like a career, family, achievement, independence, a political cause, material possessions, certain people in certain situations, power, influence, physical attractiveness, romance, human approval, financial security. Name all the good things in your life, and if they are before Jesus, they are an idol. I know that all of these things have played a role in my own story. And it took me a long time to realize that so much of my life had been in pursuit of false idols that I had placed before me. That I had asked myself the question over and over again, do I even matter? Do I have any kind of significance in this world? And in so many ways, my life was the pursuit of significance, perpetually placing idols before myself. When you grow up in a brown household, you're allowed to do three things. You're allowed to be a doctor, an engineer, and then maybe an IT guy, but that's like third tier. And so I I chose the doctor route early in the situation. And so everything in my life was geared towards being a doctor. That was my identity in school. That was my identity in church. I was a good kid that got good grades, and I was like, I'm going to get to that final point. I'm going to end up in med school. And then I got to my first year of university. I got into my first class, got into my first final, and it left crying. I was overwhelmed because it wasn't for me. But I was stubborn. And so I stuck through it. I got a full degree before I made the decision that Probably, med school is not for me. But I had this pursuit of significance. It's like this moment in your life where all you've been doing 
all the way along has been building up to this moment, but you've been doing it for the wrong reasons. And even when you realize that's the case, you've got too much of your identity wrapped up in it. And in that pursuit of significance, you've lost your sense of identity. And you would think I would learn. You'd think I, I would have that revelation and I would get it together, but I, I found myself that I shifted my places of identity over and over again. It went from be a doctor to I'm going to be a great boyfriend. I'm going to be a great husband. I'm going to be a great father one day, and I'm going to find all my identity in that. And then I don't have a relationship in my life to actually lean into that. Where does my identity go? And I'm lost again. And then the pursuit of significance starts all over again. And I, I went into another area, and I was like, okay, I'm going to find pursuit in being successful. And I'm going to make some money. I'm going to live a comfortable life. And I'm going to be able to provide for a family one day. And I'm going to pursue that. And I'm going to find significance in that. And yet I found that unfulfilling all over again. And, and then it goes to something that I would have perceived would have been good. I got an opportunity to come on staff at our church in Calgary and, and be a part of something that I was really passionate about and was good at and I wanted to lean into. And then I found myself all over again that I was more concerned about the public approval and adoration of people around me than actually serving the purposes of the church. My heart had yet to find where it was supposed to have its affection. And over and over again, significance wavered. And significance tumbled as my idols tumbled around me. Then in September 2015, I had the moment where God decided to intervene. I think so often we think that we're pursuing God in our life. But I have seen in my story and the stories of so many others that when I actually stop running and stop pursuing and stop striving and just stand still and look behind me, I realize that God is right there all along. He's not just outside of my outstretched arms. He's right behind me saying, lean into me. Fall into my arms. I'm pursuing you. And that's my story. That I have seen God pursue me from the very beginning. That even as I've pursued significance and tried so many different avenues, God has remained faithful in his pursuit of me. And so I, September 2015, I was on a plane to, uh, to India. My grandfather had passed away, the patriarch in our family. And I made my way there with my father and we dealt with all the details of the situation. And where my grandparents live, it's really beautiful. It's on the top of a tea estate, rubber trees, mango trees, pepper vines all around. It's, it's serene, it's quiet, no Wi-Fi, no signal. And I decide I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to allow myself just to be. I was, I was pretty content with everything that was going on at that exact moment. And then I heard God speak. And this is my, and let, I always want to qualify this, that I find myself to be a very reasonable, rational individual that sometimes doesn't give the supernatural enough credit. But this is the moment in my life where I can say quite honestly that I can call it nothing else than God intervening and saying exactly what needed to be said. And he said, I want you to go start a church. And I was like, no. <laughs> Pretend that didn't happen. Brushed it off. Next day, heard it again. Heard it again, heard it again, heard it the last seven days I was there. Last day I heard it one more time. I said, okay, God, if this is true, 
if this is what you want from my life, prove it. <laughs> prove it back to me in my own reality. We returned to Calgary, and I was like Gideon asking God to soak a cloth over and over and over again, and God did so and beat me over the head with a frying pan for three months on end until I was like, okay, I don't know what this looks like. I have no plan around it. I have no schooling behind it. I don't know exactly where it's going to go or where it's going to take me, but I'm going to decide to place my affection in you. And when my affections came into focus, I'm not saying life got easy. I'm not saying life got perfectly set on course. I'm not saying every bit of my heart was fulfilled in every single moment. But I can say that I would not be here today if I did not place my affections on the right thing then. When we focus our life on the right things, on the, on the things of God, when, when we go forward with that mentality, everything shifts. A great story is not about what happens at the end. A great story is the transformation that takes place in between. All of those things in my life weren't particularly bad, but they had become my ultimate. And like I said, anything we add to Jesus as an absolute requirement for happiness is functionally your savior. So even though you never call it that, idols, idols are always pseudo-saviors. Something that we trust more than Christ for our significance and our security. The psalmist writes in, in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? And I think we replace that last part so often. I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from my pocketbook because I bought the thing that I wanted last week. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from my family because I can see them right here, right now. And one of them said that they loved me yesterday, even though they were mean to me today. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from my vocation because I'm doing something that I think I love, but it's not going to be fulfilling for us in the end. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Where does your focus lie? It's easy to give the right answer in that moment. Sure, I love Jesus. I've accepted him into my heart. Feels good most days. But where does your focus truly lie? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 15 says this, and I love this translation. It says this, our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone, and that puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that he could include everyone, so everyone could be included in his life a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. That is a focus that I want to get on board with. What would happen with our lives if we started to shift our focus? What would happen with your story if you started to shift your focus? I think the story that you are des desiring, the things that you want in life, that the, maybe the only thing that needs to change is just shift of focus. 
If our focus is on the things that we desire other than, rather than the person that provides them, we are going to always fall short. There's a great quote from a guy named Donald Miller. Maybe you've heard of him. And he has great thoughts about story. And he says this, If the point of life is the same as the point of a story, the point of life is character transformation. If I got any comfort as I set out on my first story, it was that in nearly every story, the protagonist is transformed. He's a jerk at the beginning and then nice at the end. He's a coward at the beginning and then he's brave at the end. If the character doesn't change, the story hasn't happened yet. And if story is derived from real life, if story is just a condensed version of life, then life itself may be designed simply to change us so that we move from one kind of person to another. If you're waiting for transformation to take place in your life, be encouraged. Your story's not over. Story demands transformation. You might be waiting for that perfect moment to come through your life, but in every single sequence, in every single rhythm, God is already at work. He's tearing down idols in your heart that are leading you in a pursuit of the wrong things. He's trying to refocus you. He's trying to lead you to this place that you would come to know his heart and his heart for you. What would happen if we shifted our focus? And what would happen to our response to the question, do I even matter, when we do shift our focus? Because that's the question we all ask. And we ask over and over and over again, do I even matter? And perhaps some of you need to ask yourself this question this morning. What do we do when the things that we believe fulfill us aren't enough? Those things which we believe save us didn't accomplish all that we thought they would. And what are the good things which have become the ultimate things that we need to let go of? God, whether you realize it or not, is deeply committed to you. God is, is mindful of you. God loves you. God knows you. God desires to intervene into your life to, in transformative ways. Whether you know that or not, I believe that to be a truth for you. Your story has so much power, but your life needs a new focus center. Because that focus center is going to be the answer to the question, do I really matter? Because one man died for everyone, and that puts us all in the same boat. And he included us all in his death so he could include us all in his life. A resurrection life, a transformative life, a far better life than we could ever imagine. And if we we're in the pursuit of doing things to earn God's love, then the things that we do poorly would seem to diminish his love for us. But that's not the story of Jesus. That's not his story for us. That's not the story that he tells to the world. His, his story is one of unconditional love that even as I was pursuing the wrong things, his love for me remained the same. 
Even as my eyes started to place other things on the hills as the place where I looked to for help, his love for me remained the same. So if you're here this morning and you feel as if you have already placed too many idols before you, that you're going to have to go through one after another, after another, after another to get close from, just do one thing for me. Turn around. Those are the things you put in front of you, but he's pursuing you. My story is not one of searching and finding simply on my own strength. It is simply discovering that he is always pursuing after me. So Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, his love for you remains the same. There's nothing that you could do to diminish his love for you. There's nothing that you could do to have him pull away from you. So whatever you came in here with this morning that you feel like is holding you back from fully embracing the love of Jesus in this place, know that he is in pursuit of you far more than you are in pursuit of him. So perhaps you're like me, and that you're in this constant pursuit of significance. I think this is a great time. This is a great opportunity to let that go, to refocus ourselves, and to allow him to start to transform our story. Perhaps in every area of your life, you can identify that your identity is fixated on the wrong thing that your affections are in the wrong area, that you have these idols that you're carrying, and, and, and even idols do these awful, thi awful things to us, and they create comparison inside of us, and they diminish the strengths and the values that you have. Comparison hijacks the value of who you are and makes you believe that you're always less than, that you're always not enough. But we, we serve a God that is in constant pursuit, believing that you are more than enough. That you are worthy of his pursuit of you. He makes that decision every single time. If you could do one thing with me this morning, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? This love that we're talking about is this one that is unconditionally given. And the invitation of Jesus is simply waiting for you to receive. To say this morning, Jesus, I want to experience true freedom. To find real fulfillment. To find my security in more than changing from day to day. I can't do this on my own. I've fallen short so many times, but I want to make you my, my focus center. In Romans 10, it says, if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that you are God, we are saved and we get to experience that freedom that he so freely gives. So I want to give everyone an opportunity here this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for privacy's sake. This is a moment between you and God. Wherever you are on your journey, he loves you. And he wants you to know very simply, you do matter.
This is a moment between you and God. If you want to make a decision this morning to follow Jesus, I'm just going to pray for you. But would you just raise your hand before I pray? On the count of three. One, two, three. I see your hand. I see that hand. Amazing. But everyone just repeat after me. Jesus, my good works, my good intentions are not good enough. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I want to be set free. I want to be focused on you. And I want to see you transform my life. Thank you that my story begins a new today with you right beside me leading me through every step I love you so much in your name we pray amen amen let's give it up let's give it up